0: cups and cakes network presents inside the artist studio the interview you are about to hear was originally recorded on january 24th 2020 to find out more about cups and cakes visit them at cupsandcakespod.com that's cups the letter n cakespod.com
1: what you're about to hear may contain filthy language and adult content listener discretion is advised
0: I ran to the Freemason Hall after work on the Friday night of the inaugural Winter Option Festival to talk to Jennifer Castle before her show at that same venue that evening. We hunkered down in the basement of the hall to talk about her 2018 record Angel of Death, her home in Ontario, and her unique process of semi-improvisational songwriting. I stumped her a couple times during the rapid-fire questionnaire, but we enthusiastically covered her love of potato chips and how much she can learn from old ladies. Here's Jennifer Castle.
2: My name is Jennifer Castle, and I'm a musician from Ontario. Uh,
0: you got in today. I know we talked about this a bit, locked outside the building. But uh, did you play Calgary yesterday night? Mm-hmm. Where were you? Where were you playing?
2: I played at a brewery called Last Best. Okay. Yeah.
0: Have you been out west like recently, or has it been?
2: Um, I was out west, I toured with um, the weather station last fall, Yeah, and that kind of brought me out west, but I haven't come out on my own in a while, yeah.
0: Yeah, because you're just doing like solo shows, right? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to bring my band out, but we can't seem to get the kind of guarantee there's seven people in the band, so to
0: get us kind of west. What's what's the lineup like instrument wise that makes it seven people because that is like
2: it's big, big yeah. i know um well there's drums bass uh, keyboard uh, electric guitar and then there's two vocalists oh okay yeah
0: that'll do it yeah yep uh it's
2: very vocal
0: right. lots of vocals I think, too, I mean, uh, I was realizing this recently about my own stuff, but just the more people you have singing on stage, kind of the better those performances, like, always, always feel.
2: It's very powerful, yeah. I think the human voice just kind of cuts through a lot. People just, it's very direct.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's where you're, like, um, that is where you're kind of taking cues from for, like, empathy, right? And to really, like, get what songs are about, I think. So... Uh, what's the connection with The Weather Station, too? Because you did a single with them.
2: Uh, well, I did, um, and that was really kind of centered around that tour that uh, Tamara had asked if I'd come on. Um, yeah, Tamara is a musician from Toronto, and I know her through music, um, and she's a friend. Yeah. And we got We got to know each other through that process more than we had, but... Toronto is a big city, I suppose, but um, everyone kind of knows each other, so we just knew each other and finally kind of had the opportunity to do something.
0: Uh, Do you find that in Toronto um, those kinds of circles form based on, like, the type of music, or is it pretty, like, everybody's kind of intermingling?
2: Um, I think that there's more of an effort to empathize um, beyond genre and recognize sort of what we have in common as musicians these days as that kind of is like becoming a model for in all areas to try to like reach beyond your comfort zone. So I think it's starting to change. But when I was playing music maybe 15 years ago in Toronto, it was a lot more sort of you played you knew people that were making music that would be on the same bills as you right. and there wasn't maybe necessarily um, a culture of reaching beyond your what's right in front of you.
0: Gotcha. Uh, do you find that I guess then the people who would kind of play those shows that were like similar bills if you know what I mean um, would those people kind of venture out to see like different stuff or was it pretty like compartmentalized with uh-huh. audiences as well?
2: Well, I can't, I don't know. I can't speak for others, but um, there is like a lot of amazing music and there were and still are, but it's suffering a little bit. Lots of clubs in Toronto. So even, I mean, for myself, I played... Or I sing songwriter-based music like my what I write, but I mean I definitely more frequented like jazz clubs and For sure. you know other things that weren't necessarily what I was performing. There, but that's really possible in Toronto. Right. That's like one of the
0: perks. Uh, let's chat a little bit about. Uh, I was gonna say the new record. It's not super super new at this point. Um, It was your first, uh, I don't know if your first period, but your first in a while to use like a live band in studio, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah.
1: Um,
0: Do you feel like, I I guess, um, was that decided at a point once you had kind of written a certain number of songs and you decided that you wanted to approach it that way? Um, Or does, I mean, I guess when does that decision come about is the question.
2: Yeah. Well, that that's, um, there, it was pretty distinctive than other ways I've done it before because I usually do start in recording. Well, I, I write alone. Yeah. So often every song that I write, it comes from either I've played guitar or i played it on piano. Right. Um, but yeah, with Angels of Death, I didn't want to make another record that I had done before, which is often that I lay the bed down in a studio on my own, and then we build on the bed, the bed performance. Okay. And we really, Jeff and I and Dave Clark, who has also worked on um, a few of my records, co-producing, um, we would really protect the bed and then build on that sort of the energy. But this one, I was like, well, for Angels of Death, I did. I just wanted to try something different just as like, just for interest. Yeah. So I wrote them all on my own still, but when it came time to record them, I was really sure that I wanted to try live, live band. Because yeah. it just felt like the challenge I needed. And there's something... I hope that they've never come across as precious, but there is something slightly precious, maybe, or because I had done it a few times, it was starting to feel slightly precious to just protect this like jewel of a performance. I wanted to just kind of throw it to co-creation.
0: I know I've talked to folks before too about the idea of kind of making demos of things and then having a hard time moving past those. how do do you, I guess, approach choosing people that you think are going to be able to improve, like, beds that you are, like, attached to?
2: Yeah. Um, I draw from the community that I, I run in, and I... Usually, often, many times, it's people that have um, are steeped in an improvised community, so that they might feel comfortable. Because once I've done a bed track, or once I've usually I improvise the take. I don't, I don't, um, I don't build the song. So I finalize the song by the take that I capture. Right. But the all the takes of that song would be totally different. If you went back to look at them, there wouldn't be a chorus there or that didn't repeat twice in that take. They're always improvised so that they first surprise me. And then then I like to reach out, yeah, to people that will have, you know, really tuned ear, don't need much instruction, um, don't don't need me to speak musical language, because I, I don't I'm self-taught. And yeah so a lot of jazz musicians have wound up playing with me um yeah just like free or or paul mortimer plays guitar on most of my records and he's like you know a rock and roll guitar player he's you know like grateful dead student and um but again he'll just he's not intimidated to try yeah you know
0: are are things kind of equally loose then, or were they? I guess once you got into a studio with like a full band of folks like that.
2: Yeah, they're very loose. I mean, for Angels of Death, we had record or uh, rehearsed uh, twice, and <laughs> okay. I I don't like to rehearse with a band because once again I really want that spontaneity spontaneity, and I've never been personally attracted to hearing. Um, um, a, I don't want to hear what we've learned I want to hear what we find
0: Yeah Um. So if you're kind of like I guess using songwriting as a way of like exploring like that um, How do you I guess start to recognize when you have a group of ideas that feel like they um, are part of a whole if you know what I mean like a bunch of songs that are going to form a collection of songs
2: Um yeah, it just kind of, it's kind of, there's just kind of like, I guess a bit of an arc that you're like just collecting or writing or not even thinking about it. And there's a few songs and then there might be like one or several experiences that happen that, you know, kind of pique the intellect part of songwriting. You know, when I'm just writing or making music at home, um, it's more like heartfelt and not very intellectual. And then sometimes there's suddenly like, an, like a light bulb moment where you go, wait, I think I'm, I think all of these are re- talking to each other, relating. Right. And that's usually when, once I get that um, sign, then I kind of go, oh, okay, I, maybe I can start to shape this into something or.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, it seems like too, I mean, um, Angels of Death is a lot about like grief and like death, obviously. Um does it make sense to you to think of those, uh, of these songs? I guess as like like a concept record, like the idea that it is conceptual in that way.
2: With Angels of Death, I thought very much so that it, it was a concept record, um, because because when I, I mean, for me, it's not a heavy record, even though it does pertain to, I suppose, issues of grief and and loss, but you know. For in the, the personally, I feel like as a writer, you have to kind of get obsessed with your idea a little bit, yeah, or there's like that 's like your engine is like some obsession that really is meaningless to everybody else but you, so when that happened, and I was like, "Wait, this means something, it was really like um, I was sure that I could say Angels of Death because everything that had to do with it had to do with the living. It was like the loss was something that I couldn't quite talk about. It wasn't mine to talk about, but I could. So for me, it was like a very life driven record. But um, yeah. uh, what was Oh yeah, it was conceptual, yeah, for sure. I was like, oh wait, I'm writing a record, and it's called Angels of Death. <laughs> yeah. And I just, like, out, wrote out the words of the titles and was like, I'm getting a band together, calling Jeff, let's do this next month. There's this record, it's called Angels of Death, and I'm just gonna
0: rip it. Uh, do you think the fact, then, that all of that stuff was, like, pretty tightly grouped around... Um, like not super specifically about that subject matter, but the fact that it was conceptually solid, do you think that kind of changes how you approach like the recording and even like um, musically how you want it to sound?
2: Yeah, like as soon as I knew that what... or the ideas that I was wrestling with and the sort of problems I had to potentially solve in my writing circle, which only of course is logical to me. um, But as soon as I knew you know certain things like I was like well this song will be called Grim Reaper because he needs to you know make a appearance in this concept and you know then we always change need to come up and you know all of these sorts of like checks started to happen where I was like okay and then in terms of recording um, I wanted the camaraderie of not going it alone like sort of you know the fellowship at that point it was like we'll do this together
0: because we can. did you go back and edit stuff a lot? Like if it's, if your kind of like first beds are fairly improvised, um, do you ever dive back in and try to go back and kind of alter those things or make them fit more together?
2: Yeah. Um, Pink City, I did that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I go with the bed that mostly speaks for itself and... And hopefully that doesn't have to happen often, but for sure there's some takes that are one and another that are glued together. I can't, I couldn't even remember if I tried now where those puzzle pieces are. But Angels was more challenging because of the live band. Uh, the feel for me to try, take was just so different that, and there was so much communication happening that the threads, it wasn't really possible. We had to just let go and just do a few different takes. Um, yeah, it was challenging to edit that one. But that was good. That's what I liked about it.
0: Uh, am, am I correct in saying like it is your first record with like live band all recorded at the same time?
2: Yeah, as a... For the most part, there were a... F- yeah, for the most part, yes. Um, there's songs on, you know, Pink City maybe, where we did a bed. Like I, I'll be specific, but there was a song Sparta, and for sure the drums and the guitars were recorded together. So there's been on each record there's been clumps of bandness, but no Angels was yeah the first one where we were like one two three four.
0: <laughs> uh, so I guess then no, uh, not no beds, but like you you would be playing with. The band, then I guess, too, in that scenario, right? Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we were in one single church room. Um, Robbie, the drums, was kind of out in the hall. It was a bloody mess, technically speaking. It bled into everything. There was zero separation. So for us at that point, we were really, and it was just one weekend. Got got up on Friday night, set it up with with Jeff and the assistant engineer, ran a couple songs they heard what we were doing for the first time, said, okay, chill, go away, (laughs) let us wire this because this is gonna be completely uncontrollable Right. and we will start Saturday morning. And with that in mind, we just kind of gun through them all. And yeah, it was very wild.
0: Uh, do you find that you're changing stuff then like lyrically, even when you get to like that kind of very last stage or is that kind of stuff mostly like set at that point?
2: Um, At that point for that record, it was mostly set because I was locked in with the band on some level, Right. which was again the big challenge for me. And also I can remember going back to that space in the church and thinking that everything depended on the fact that I sang as best as I could, because there was going to be no way to go in and change that. So I couldn't, my attention was very precise to, you know, even just like the size of the church, the, the echo, it was just about honing in and everybody agreed that we had to sort of hunker down around the vocals when they were there as much as we could. So that I could hear myself. And yeah, the more so the lyrics were pretty locked in. But everything that's come since recorded and everything that's followed it records before they're improvised in gotcha. many ways. Yeah. Maybe not every song. Yeah. yeah. But a bu- the bulk of the songs, the take we end up choosing is one where I go, that one's weird and I've never heard <laughs> that one before. Yeah. Let's use that one.
0: Uh you feel like playing it in like a really large space like like a church like that does that um change I guess both the way that you play and also like how those songs come across if you know what I mean Mm -hmm.
2: um I felt like they did I felt like Angels the live band songs of that record had a really big feel and a real like free spirit and um, and like I said there's a camaraderie in that music because we all knew it kind of had to we all had to just give it our very best but we're all also very freewheeling musicians so I thought we spoke to the space and the environment and it was a beautiful weekend when we recorded that record Um, we were in the country and it felt very special to have this old church uh, on our own. So I think that is all over the record.
0: Uh, I guess then did you like work pretty hard to try to pick, um, stuff like that to set up like a good environment in advance?
2: Yeah, we, yeah, I wanted to make it very special. So we had, um... Our friend Jamie is a chef that's worked on, you know, tanker boats, I think. And we had (laughs) him in and he just like sort of um, manned the kitchen downstairs, which was like a makeshift shanty kitchen. And he just like would roll out beautiful feasts for us. And we had, you, you know, just beautiful, beautiful energy the whole weekend in the place we made it as special as we could so that every break was beautiful and um and yeah it was it was magical uh
0: perfect i think probably now is as good a time as any to move on to kind of the second half of things the rapid fire most of it's kind of silly kind of stuff so have some fun um coffee or tea
2: uh, coffee and tea. I love both equally, but tea,
0: philosophically tea. <laughs> uh, cake or pie? Um, cake. Okay, do you have a, do you have like a favorite kind of cake? Cheesecake? That's a good answer. <laughs> uh, last thing you ate, lots of food ones right off the bat.
2: Um, an egg sandwich. Okay
0: on the bus bus egg sandwich indeed nice uh favorite pit stop on tour
2: um i love going to sunland light shop in portland and buying light bulbs when i'm in portland i always go there there's the coolest lady who it's the wildest most tiny lighting shop bulbs (laughs) and things and when you walk in There's this wild woman that sits in the desk, and she never sounds different. She always says, welcome to Sunland. How can I light up your life? (laughs) And I always buy my bulbs there.
0: How did you find Sunland lighting?
2: I can't remember. I think someone took me years ago, and now I always stop there when I go through. (laughs) I always have bulbs from there.
0: It's the Portland secret right there. Yeah. Uh, Radio or podcasts?
2: Radio. But these days, I have to say, sir, I'm listening to podcasts. So,
0: is it? I know um, for many people, I feel like podcasts are like a like a travel thing, or like uh-huh. a I have time to sit and do nothing. Uh-huh. Do you? Is that like on tour, for example?
2: I've been kind of getting into podcasts because I'm walking my dog more um, specifically through town. When I hike her through the country, I'm happy to just listen but to, like, nature. But when I'm walking through the town or something, I've been... So they are kind of specific. It's like I have this hour of time that I want to fill up. <laughs> Whereas the radio is more like someone in the house that you put on, and it's... You don't choose really... Necess- you just choose the station or whatever. Right.
0: It's a bit more random.
2: Yeah. Podcast feels like a specific, I have this time.
0: Uh you're not living in Toronto at this point, right?
2: No, I live in a little fishing village two hours out of Toronto.
0: Okay, just out of curiosity, um, I guess, why the move?
2: Well, um, Toronto's a very expensive city to live in. Yes. I was born in Toronto and raised in Toronto, so it is with a heavy heart when I left. It was like another landlord telling you that, you know, you have to kind of move on and it was very sad as an artist for me to do that because it will always feel like my hometown. Um, but I simply couldn't really afford... I have a son, and, you know, he's not a tiny baby anymore. He's like a dude. Yeah. So, you know, we, we needed more space. Right. So we, we left. Wasn't easy, though. I do feel like I'm in exile. <laughs>
0: This is, I guess, a bit tangential, but is there stuff that you like more about kind of being in a more rural place?
2: Um, I like the I like having lots of access to forests, and I live right on the lake. So in the summer, I'm in the lake every day, and I'm in the forest a lot. I but I find nature downtown too, so that's for sure totally not a problem. But I really enjoy the spaciousness but i yeah i will be the first one to say how much i miss you know live jazz just when you feel it in the evenings or just seeing people going out i'm really pretty isolated where i live like really isolated
0: uh and that was radio or podcasts (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh first car
2: First car for RailRail that I owned is the car I drive right now, which is a um, 2008 Volkswagen Golf that I got. It's a stick shift, and I've had it for three years.
0: Nice. I was late to get my license. I feel like that's more common, just kind of like... City people. Yeah, because even like for me, like I'm from Saskatchewan, and everybody gets driver's ed through school and high school, and so just everybody has a license, and everybody has their car. Totally. But... Well,
2: as soon as you go downtown... Toronto you like, you're like get rid it. of my
0: car yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh weirdest job you've ever had
2: weirdest job oh it's this one <laughs> 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 nothing beats uh, being on the festival circuit for weirdness yeah it's bizarre um for sure
0: if you had a lot of like um The guy I was talking to last night was talking about just, like, strange, strange, strange gigs that they've done. He was one of the guys from Tokyo Police Club, and he was just telling these stories about playing for, like, um, vodka companies trying to sell vodka to people, and that, like, blew my mind. I didn't know those things existed. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. You can get on some weird stages, and... I I mean, I have to make... Plenty of phone calls whenever I'm out on the road, just to be like, "What is this life? This is the weirdest <laughs> life." Like, it makes complete sense to me to play music. Yeah. It, but touring doesn't have as much to do with that impulse. It's something else. Right. So when when I'm in the touring mode, I'm always, I need a little bit of talk talking through.
0: Do you find that there are still things about it that um, you are finding like? strange or just bizarre even after having done it for, like, a long time?
2: Yeah, um, because there's so many variables that are always different, even in the scenario of always being the same. Like, right. you have a gig, except everyone in the room will be different. <laughs> but all of the sort of structure or technical things will be sort of the same. Like, it's, it's very bizarre because you can count on everything and count on nothing.
0: Right. Um, if you could open for any band, who would you open for?
2: If I could open for any band, I would open for... Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anyone, really.
0: I feel like, I mean, um, I have... Uh, The times that I have played have almost always had more fun opening for bands where I had no idea what to expect from the people that were coming up because you get uh, to discover something in kind of like the best way possible, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like you have no idea going in, there's something that's really fun about that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like that, but you know, I'm starting to get really more into... I mean, I'll always be opening for people, but I'm starting to kind of, like, get into the idea that maybe I should not open for as many people <laughs> as I have. in the Like, I feel like it's time to manifest having our show, whether it's with my band or where we sort of set the vibe. For sure. Because... Um, yeah, I, I am a road dog because I'm easy to jump in people's vans or buses because <laughs> I can play solo and I, right. I run that skill as much as I can. But um, yeah, so I, I open heartedly and generously would open for most people and anyone. And I think it's an honorable position to be in. And I always try to bring my best to that. But um, go, going forward, always trying to manifest the opportunity to gather a crowd, however small, to just share in the vibe that we're putting down. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, if you could uh, make a lineup of just any band that has ever existed, give yourself a free ticket, um, what, uh, what kind of show would you put together?
2: I mean, I love poets, so I'd want to include a poet, but I mean, I'd love like... I love Elizabeth Cotton. I'd love to see Jimi Hendrix play. Um, I'd love to see, you know, the Grateful Dead in the late 70s. That'd be a cool lineup. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, lots of contemporary musicians, but for sure, I'd love to see, you know, some old balladeers play. You know, I'm kind of really tuning into the balladeer midlife career where you know the the artifice sheds a little bit and you're left with just these people that have just this have to just sing songs for their <laughs> lives <laughs> and it's like just they have to just be skillful yeah. and masterful and I've lately kind of been tuning into those folks so like Nina Simone and Edith Piaf and,
0: you
2: know, Frank Sinatra and Judy Garland, people that had to just kind of face the music and do it forever.
0: (laughs) Uh, Favorite month of the year? December. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a good, solid winter month. Mm -hmm. Uh, Candy or chips? Chips. Okay, favorite kind of chips? Um,
2: Well, I... Will have to say that it would either be, and I don't let myself eat these very much because I can't stop, but I love Ruffles uh, sour cream and onion. Oh, yeah. And I love cheesies, puffy cheesies, and hate salt and vinegar. It just makes her
0: mother. But mouth love,
2: oh, makes you both her. <laughs> um, would eat ketchup if it wasn't poisonous, as they say, but that's what I would prefer to eat. And love regular chips with, like, fresh yogurt dip with herbs.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, love chips so hard.
0: <laughs> I can tell. Love them so hard. Uh, video games or board games or sports? Uh, sports. Oh, okay, what, what sports? Um, I love to run,
2: walk, swim. I love yoga. I'm very competitive, so if you throw a sport at me, I will try my best to learn. One (laughs) sport I don't really love is volleyball, but I'm very athletic. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there an album that kind of spurred your love of music?
2: Um, I was a huge mini-pops fan when I was a little girl, but I loved uh, Cyndi Lauper, and I loved Michael Jackson, Okay. and I love... Um, yeah, I remember Harvest from Neil Young was like, oh, yeah. when I heard that, I thought it was pretty amazing. And I thought, uh, Blue was really amazing when I heard it.
0: Is there stuff that your parents played that you kind of remember fondly in that way or that you yeah, listen like to? Yeah, like
2: Sade way? and Whitney Houston. Um, yeah, some reggae okay. and, uh, Saturday Night Blues music. Oh, cool. mm-hmm.
0: uh, if you could get lunch with anybody, living or dead, and just kind of chat with them for an hour uh, who would you pick?
2: Um, I would probably pick fuck <laughs> I don't know uh, I'm not sure some cool woman that would have some advice about how to go forward with integrity. So any older woman that ever went and kept going for a long time. So any old lady, <laughs> my grandmother, probably yeah. like my grandmother, one of my grandmothers. That's a perfect answer. <laughs> um, uh,
0: very last question then. Uh, do you have any kind of local recommendations or things from, uh, from around your neck of the woods that you want to name drop, throw a spotlight on?
2: My neck of the woods, yeah, i got to say, like, I grew up in Toronto, but we always went to Georgian Bay for the summer, which is like Lake Huron. And and I was kind of obsessed with that lake, but recently, over the past few years, I moved by London, Ontario way, and I discovered Lake Erie, and that's been a revelation. So I would say if you're going through Ontario, if you're passing through Detroit, or heading to Toronto to definitely stop and find a really nice beach in on Lake Erie and just swim for the day. It's yeah, beautiful.
0: Yeah. I remember, um, again, tangential, but uh, moving back from Toronto, driving kind of that highway along, kind of through the Canadian Shield north of all of the lakes. Yeah. And just like, it's like stunning. It's, it's so, crazy. so, so nice when the trees kind of let up and then there's just.
2: It's yeah. really special. I mean, I'm, uh, yes. That is my heart and soul, that area. So it was hard, I, and I was choosing. I was like, no, I'm a Georgian Bay, like northern, <laughs> northern Ontario lady, you know. And Lake Erie, yeah, it's been a lovely thing to fall in love with another lake. But where you're talking of
0: is yeah. exceptional. I, yeah, I think it's uh, my geography in that area is like bad, but that's like Lake Superior. I think. Lake
2: Superior. I mean, the first time you really. I think when you really discover the Lake Superior region, it's kind of mind
0: altering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cause it's kind of hard to fathom. I think how like large things are like that. And not only the lake, but like, um, the trees and the rock yeah. surrounding that, like it's kind of impenetrable. Yeah.
2: No, it's mythologically huge. <laughs> and there's not much, you know, reporting from those regions. There's long, exp- so there's, you know when you feel like you're going through it you feel really like it's in many ways the first time you've you know been exposed to it because there's lots of places that aren't filled with cities
0: for sure that takes us uh, right to the end of the old interview uh we wrap things up by playing a track here uh i don't know if you've got something um from angels of death or uh something yeah. you know, throw a spotlight on. But
2: sure. Um, why don't you play Rose Waterfalls? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've been uh, loving that song.
0: Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about it?
2: Um, sure. It's just a kind of country song and um, it throws love to the muses, the creative muses and it um, yeah, I used to have a bedroom at in the house i lived in in toronto the last house i lived in in toronto that the bed room looked out but you had to go through a rose bush to like there was a rose bush that covered the window yeah and i used to joke that it was like sitting behind the falls at niagara falls because when they would start to bloom it was like you would get this back side view yeah um and that's where rose waterfalls came and one time when i was Oh, I opened my window in the summer, even there were rose petals on my pillow that had blown in. <laughs> and so Rose Waterfalls became yeah. became what it is.
0: Perfect. Well, uh, this is Rose Waterfalls. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. My um, pleasure. And yeah, good luck at the show tonight. Looking Thank forward you. to it.
2: Thank you. Nice to meet you.
1: Living with the muses all around me Waking up to soothe them in the dark The muses leave me while I make my coffee don't come watching in the back and muses if you ever catch me in the news you can kill me muses any way you choose I stitch my dreams into my seams, so I will morning with one name for the world when it needs my blood and sweat and one name for the muses when they're calling they call me rose
0: cakes presents is produced by sean newton the featured track was played with permission from jennifer castle undercurrents from atlantis jazz ensemble's album oceanic suite is the background music throughout the entire episode oceanic suite is available through ottawa's Marlowe records find out more at marlorecords.com inside the artist studio is one of the many ways the cups and cakes network highlights canadian music visit our website cupsandcakespod.com to browse our audio video and written content That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.